0: We are glad you are listening to this audio recording produced by Cross Point Presbyterian Church in Park City, Utah. For more information regarding the ministries of Cross Point Presbyterian Church, please visit us online at www.crosspointpca.org. This morning, let me invite you to turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, let me invite you to use our Pew Bible. Page eight hundred and seventy-one is where you'll find Luke chapter twelve. I'll ask you a question: Have you ever been afraid? I'll just share with you. I used to be afraid of the dark. I don't mean just a little bit afraid of the dark. I mean terrified of the dark. So afraid that when I was old, way older than I should have known better. When the lights would go off and my parents would go into their bedroom and my sister would go into hers, I would start to hear sounds. In my parents' house, you got to know that the hallway that led to our bedrooms was only about from here to that post right there. Okay, So we're not talking about a huge house. We're talking about a very small house. But I'd hear these footsteps. And then my mind would start to race. And I'd always imagine that there was somebody coming to get me. And so because I was afraid, I had to come up with a solution because I was all alone. I was on my own. And I was the only help that was coming. So what I would do, there was a space between my bed and the wall about that wide. I would roll over into that space and I would sleep the whole night in that particular corner of the room, thinking that if someone were out to harm me and they were coming, they would look in my room, see no one in my bed, and then they would assume that the room was empty and they would turn around and leave. This was last year. No, I'm just kidding. I was a teenage boy. I knew better. But I couldn't get over the fear. I was like the little boy who was afraid of the dark. His mom said to him, you know, I want you to go out on the porch and I want you to get the broom. And the little boy turned to his mom. She said, no, 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 I am afraid of the dark. I do not want to go out there. And mom, loving her son, reassuringly said to him, you don't have to be afraid of the dark. Jesus is out there. He'll look after you and he'll protect you. So he thought about this for a little while. And he said, are you sure Jesus is out there on the porch? Yes, he's everywhere, and he's always ready to help you when you need him. So he thought about it for another moment. He walked to the screen door. He cracked it open. He said, Jesus, if you're out there, will you hand me the broom? (laughs) Now, we're like that little boy. We're afraid. We're overcome with anxieties and with fears. And we know Jesus is the answer. But when you're afraid, you don't want to trust him. All you can see is whatever it is that lies before you that you're terrified of. We laugh about this little boy or me as a teenager, afraid of the dark. But some of us battle real fears and real anxieties. This morning in Luke chapter 12, we're going to see that Jesus deals with this issue of fear and anxiety. So if you would, please turn with me now to Luke chapter 12 and stand as we read God's word. We're going to begin reading in verse twenty two, in which Jesus says, and he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on for life is more than food and the body, more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them of how much more value are you than the birds and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life. If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches, no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there Will your heart be also? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me invite you to be seated. The first thing I want you to notice, if you skip down to verse one, what you'll see is that crowds are starting to gather. Luke says, in the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together, they were trampling on one another, he began to say to his disciples. So the crowds are gathering, thousands and thousands of people, so much so that they're trampling on one another. But Luke says that Jesus is talking specifically to his disciples. Skip down to verse 22 where he started reading. And again, he said to his disciples. So the first thing to note is that Jesus is not teaching everyone. He's talking specifically to. To his people, the promises that he is going to make are for his people. They're not for everyone. They're not for the world in general. And notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, you know what? You're afraid. You're anxious, but you don't have any reason to be. No, there are reasons for us to be anxious. Lots of reasons. Just turn on the news, pick up a paper. And then you have just the normal, ordinary, everyday human experiences that you and I and every single person that's ever lived around the world and throughout history. Our health, our finances, our family relationships, what our children are going to do. But Then think of the fact that we live in a specific specific place in time in which we have a media that profits off of fear. So every single day we hear about the state of our economy here in the U.S., about the global economy, about the fear of North Korean nukes, about Russia, about China, about terrorism, and most of all, climate change. Things that we have to be afraid of, or they tell us we have to be afraid of. In the last two weeks, and the last week, I'm sorry, I saw two videos that were disturbing to me. The first was two young women in in the United Kingdom, who because of the threat of climate change and the ecological disaster that's just 10 or 12 years down the road have made the decision that they will not procreate, that they will not reproduce because they're afraid of what the world will be like and they'll be afraid of the consequences of bringing another life onto the planet. The second one I saw was beyond creepy. It was disturbing on a spiritual level. There were two women who were engaged in a seance. And I'm convinced that they were communicating with a demonic spirit. They were talking to this demonic spirit about the solutions to the ecological problems, the way to solve the environment, and this was the solution that was proposed. That the world's population be reduced to two billion people. I'm not sure if they were the one proposing it to this demonic spirit, or the demonic spirit speaking through this woman was proposing it to them. But there are people out there who would see this as a viable solution to the ecological disaster that's on the horizon. Think about that. I'm not exactly sure what the world's population is, but I know it's close to 7 billion people, maybe over 7 billion at this point in time. But you're talking about the elimination of 5 billion people on the face of the planet because we're afraid of climate change. You might be anxious about climate change and, you know, I don't really care where you are on that spectrum about whether or not it's man-made, anthropomorphic climate change or whether you just got kind of to believe that climate changes throughout the ages and the decades and the centuries and millennia. I'm not sure, but maybe you're anxious about the climate. Maybe you're anxious about something else in your life that you feel totally out of control and your stomach gets all in knots. And you lie awake at night. Now, I've never had a panic attack, panic attack. But I do struggle with anxiety. And I've read stories about people who have experienced panic attacks. I read about a young man who was in a really stressful time of his life. And then as he came out of this stressful time in his life, he and his friends went out to celebrate. And as they were at this restaurant celebrating this difficult season they had just gotten through... He said, the left side of my face went numb, then my left arm. My breathing started to get extremely shallow and it felt like an elephant was sitting in my chest. My heart began to beat irregularly. My head was swimming. I started to sweat profusely and I felt like I was blacking out. And all of this was made more frightening given the fact that I have a heart murmur. So naturally, my thought was, this is it. I'm having a heart attack. His friends immediately rushed into the ER. They began to run a series of tests. They all came back negative. And they diagnosed him with a panic attack. And this is what he said. This is what what was most heartbreaking to me. He says, I can tell you from experience, once you've had a full-blown panic attack, it's as if something breaks loose and never really finds its way back into place. Does this describe you? Have you ever had a similar kind of experience? In which your life is being run on fear in which something has broken loose and never finds its way back into place. Now, this entire section of chapter 12 really is teaching Jesus about fear and anxiety. He's telling us that there are reasons to worry. But as the children of God, we don't have to be anxious and afraid. Why? Because the children of God, our confidence is in the character of our father. Notice how he opens up in the opening verses of 12. Chapter 12 and verse four, he says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And then after that, have nothing more they can do. Jesus is saying that there are people that can kill you, but you don't have to be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. He goes on. He's saying as God's children, we should not be afraid of other people, but we should fear God and his holy and righteous judgment. That's why he goes on he says, but I will warn you of whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has the authority to cast you into hell. This is the one you should be afraid of. See, what Jesus is doing, he's identifying here the reason why we struggle with anxiety. It's because our hearts trust in something other than God. Our fears and anxiety really expose and show us what it is that we worship in our lives. If you're a people pleaser, which is what he's kind of talking about here in Luke chapter 12, verse 4, where it is you're more concerned what other people think about you, then you'll make decisions not in line with God's word says, but in line with what your friends want you to do. This is what peer pressure is all about. I remember what peer pressure was like. I was a dorky teenage boy, afraid of the dark, sleeping on the side of his bed. I cared what other people thought. I wanted to be cool. I wanted to fit in. And so I did stupid things. To impress people who really didn't care about me. because see, my reputation mattered. For others, it's your physical beauty. It's the success of your children. It's your money. It's your comfort. It's your recreation. It's pleasure. It's whatever it is. Whatever your treasure of choice may be. Whenever you choose to trust that thing, rather than trust God, then your life will be marked by anxiety, by fear, by pain possibly depression, a whole host of things. St. Augustine, an early church father, he said that anger, anxiety, worry, depression, they're not the root of your problem, they're just the symptoms. He said they're the smoke rising from the altars that you built to your idols. He says if you'll follow the smoke, then you'll find the idol in your life that needs to be torn down. And just so we get this clearly, Jesus gives to us this vivid passage right before the text that we read this morning. Right before this passage, he tells a parable, which is a story, and he tells it about a man who was anxious. He had been successful and he had lots of possessions and he's anxious about these possessions and these barns. And we learn that these possessions have this seductive attraction to this man. These possessions tell us that his life depended on the abundance of possessions that he owned. They lie, they whisper, that somehow he'll have security if he builds more barns and puts more crops in the storehouse. And he believes the lie that when he dies, he'll be able to take it with him. I've said this before, and you've heard it from other people probably, but no one pulls a U-Haul behind a hearse. We buried my dad a little more than two months ago. We put some things in there, but he didn't really take them with him. Thousands of years, they might dig him up like they've done pharaohs in Egypt, and all that stuff will still be there if it hasn't deteriorated over time. doesn't matter how much you have. If you get that diagnosis, it's terminal cancer. You're not taking it with you. You can trust in it all you want. Steve Jobs, maybe one of the richest men in the history of our lifetimes, gets diagnosed with a terminal cancer, and he take a single dollar, a single cent with him. But all these possessions secretly whisper that we can have it all, that we can be God. So this man lives his life. He was rich. He had it all, but he was not rich towards God. And his main concern was how does he keep all of this stuff for himself? And this stuff becomes a burden and it becomes an anxiety. But it was his treasure. All those possessions was a thing he loved and trusted in more. So what do we do about our own anxiety? Well, we do what Jesus says to do here. We change the way we think about God. We learn to know that God is a loving father who cares for his children. Instead of looking at God as a God of displeasure, who's. Constantly waiting for us to screw up so that he can send judgment from heaven on us. We see him as a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, quick to forgive, abounding in love, the Bible says. And if that's the kind of God we serve, then that frees us up to let us trust him to take care of the details and the affairs of our life. But how do you do that? Well, Jesus says you've got to change your perspective. He says, first of all, I want you to look to Creation. Notice what he says in verses 24 through 29. He says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. And of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do such a small thing as that, then why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed. Like one of these, but if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O little of faith. And Jesus is making this argument from the lesser to the greater. He says, just look, there's birds, ravens, lilies. And if God will take care of those things, how much more would he care for those who've been made in his image? If God feeds and clothes the animals a robes of plants in beauty and splendor. And these things do not possess a soul. If he'll do that for them, how much more will he provide for you? His redeemed children have been covered by the blood of his only begotten son. Jesus, you don't have to be anxious. There's good reason for you not to be anxious and fearful. You have reason to rest. Because you can look to creation and see that God provides for all that he has made. That God is good and God is faithful. So he says you can look to creation. And he says, secondly, look to your father. We have a heavenly father. Think about that. That, that describes and defines the relationship. It's a relationship of intimacy and of love. A father which takes on the burden of caring for us and providing for us as his children. It makes, it makes sense that the world would be anxious and fearful. They don't have that. In their worldviews, it's up to them. In certain worldviews, they're here because they're the divine byproduct of time and chance. And everything coalesced in the exact right way. And gravity was strong in just such a way. And this planet was far enough away from the sun. And we have an atmosphere and oxygen and all those things. And their life just kind of sprang up. But here's the thing. You have to count on chance to care for you. And chance doesn't care. And chance doesn't love you. But the Bible says that there's a father who takes on your burdens. And Jesus says you don't have to be anxious because the Father knows exactly what we need. And the Father is always in process of caring for his children, delivering exactly what you need when you need it. He may not give to you what you want. My son's a type 1 diabetic. He'd love to eat ice cream and all kinds of things that would be very detrimental to his body. He does eat a lot of those things. I'm not saying he doesn't, but he would eat those things all the time. But sometimes, as a father... I have to say, you know what? You need to eat some chicken. You need to put some protein on your plate. We need some things that are going to help balance out your blood sugar levels over time. Why? Because I love him. So if I love my son that much, how much does God love his children? Yeah, anxiety and fear might belong to the world, but it doesn't make sense for you and me children of the Most High God. We don't have to worry about our life. And if you are, then it means you're not really trusting your heavenly father. So when you start to feel the anxiety and the fear, that's a sign that's showing you that you're not really trusting and resting in God as your father. Why? Because you think you're smarter than God. You might not ever admit that publicly, but really that's what's going on. You think you can manage the affairs of your life better than God can that you can deliver on the promises and make things happen that you want. You're concerned with your life and you think you're the one that's in control. So Jesus says, if you're anxious and fearful, look to creation. You have a a God that provides for all of his creation. You have a father who loves and knows what you need and will provide for you. And lastly, he says, look to the kingdom. Look to the king of the kingdom. It's a call to grace. Because when I see that there's a bigger kingdom, and I don't have to worry about my own. When I see that there's a king that brings his kingdom and the way he does it is by becoming a servant and offering his life as a sacrifice to save me from my sin, to deliver me from the kingdom of darkness and to bring me into the kingdom of his marvelous light. then that sets me to free just to be a subject. I don't have to manage the affairs of the kingdom. Running run the kingdom is a big deal. Somebody always wants the crown. That's the one thing I've learned from Game of Thrones books is that you should be wary of everybody. Kings throughout history, like King Herod we read about in the Bible, he killed his own children because he felt like they were getting a little bit uh, too buckish and were trying to take his place. That's not your concern. That's not my concern. That's the king's concern. So Jesus says, look to the king and his kingdom. Most of your anxiety is a result of you trying to sit on the throne of your life. And then all the problems are laid at your feet and you've got to decide what to do about them. Some of the most confident and humble people I've ever met were those who were absolutely trusting in the care and provision of God. People who had real reasons to be anxious, but they just like, you know what? I trust God to provide. I trust God to provide the finances. I trust uh, God to provide whatever it is that we're going to need. Despite the circumstances, they were at peace. That's not me. Most of the time, I'm anxious and fearful about what you think of me, about what other people think of me. and I forget to look to creation to see how God's provided. I forget to look to the Father who's provided a family and the gospel, to look to the king and his kingdom, because I've got this little kingdom I'm building here, and I really care about it. And I want this kingdom to be great. That's not my job and that's not my responsibility. And so as a result, I live not as a son, not as a daughter, but as an orphan. Sonship is who I know them as. I think they have actually an organization by a different name. They came up with this this great kind of self-diagnostic in which you ask yourself the questions. Am I living as a son or daughter of God or as an orphan? And some of the things they describe living as an orphan go like this. You feel alone like you lack a vital connection to God and you're full of self-concern. You're anxious about your felt needs, your relationships, your money, your health, and you feel like or you say to yourself, I'm all alone and nobody cares. Your life is lived on succeed, pass, fail basis. You have to look good and be right. And so your life is always performance oriented. You have little faith, lots of fear, and your trust is... Is completely in yourself. And you say things like, I've got to do this. But a child of God on the opposite side says this. You have a growing assurance that God is really my loving Heavenly Father. And so you trust Him and your confidence in Him is growing as you see Him provide. And so your life is freed up from worrying. You live daily in an intimate relationship with God. You feel the love, the forgiveness, and you feel the acceptance that we have because of the shed blood of Christ. And so you have an active prayer life. Remember I talked about prayers as a struggle? So I don't really believe in it. I don't really believe that there's a God who loves me and He wants to answer the prayers that I'm willing to offer and to pray. It feels ineffective. Sometimes you pray and there's not an answer that you can see. But a child of God isn't really concerned with the results or the outcome of prayer. They're concerned with the Father that they get to pray to. They just want to know Him. They just want to be known by Him. But You and I forget and we live in our lives as orphans. So what does Jesus do? He doesn't yell at the disciples. He doesn't yell at you and me. He's patient. He doesn't throw up His hands and say, You know what, I'm just done. We've been over this time and time again, and Bob, you still don't get it. He doesn't do that. He doesn't turn us loose so that we can chase after the world. But no, he's a loving and good shepherd, and he goes after us, and he brings us back to the fold time and time again. Notice the transformation, the change, the shift that takes place in verse 33. Jesus says, fear not, in verse 32, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And if you know that it's God's good pleasure, God delights in, God is glorified, God is joyously up there, and it's his good pleasure to give to you the kingdoms, then this is the result, he says, you can sell your possessions, you can give to the needy, You can provide for yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He says, you can live like the rich fool. You can hoard everything, draw it all in, and try to keep it, protect it yourself. Or you can know that there's a Father who delights in giving you the kingdom. And when you know that, you don't have to worry about anything. There's this transformation that takes place rather than being marked by fear and anxiety and the need to provide for ourselves. All of a we become a generous people and we can give and we can rejoice and we can serve. Why? Because God will take care of, of us. Kind of two types of people. You can live your life kind of two ways. You live for your possessions because you think that's where life is really at. You can live for God. And God might bless you with all kinds of possessions. But you don't see them as the end goal. You see them as a means to an end. As a way to bless people. As a way to glorify God. As a way to meet the needs of those who are hurting. And when you do that, you'll see that God will sustain your life. It may not be the way you imagined it. It might not be the timing that you want it to be. But God will provide. God will meet all those needs. And in doing so, your heart, which was affixed on the things of this world, will be transferred to heaven. Jesus you only have one heart. You can only fix it on one treasure. So you're either going to fix it on God or you're going to fix it on something else. Let's pray.